Welcome to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Randy Dobbs, author of Transformational Leadership, a Blueprint for Real Organizational Change. On behalf of the entire Strategy Driven team, I would like to welcome you to this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast, an interview with Randy Dobbs, author of Transformational Leadership, a Blueprint for Real Organizational Change. The Strategy Driven Podcast focuses on the tools and techniques executives and managers can use to improve their organization's alignment and accountability to ultimately achieve superior results. These podcasts elaborate on the best practice and warning flag articles found on the Strategy Driven website at www.strategydriven.com. In this special edition podcast, Randy Dobbs shares with us his insights, approaches, and real-world experiences in achieving real and meaningful organizational change in a way that improves overall performance and ultimately enhances the bottom line. And so now, without any further delays, let's get started. We are privileged to be joined by Randy Dobbs, author of Transformational Leadership, a Blueprint for Real Organizational Change. Randy rose to become a CEO in a General Electric company business with the encouragement and coaching of high-level executives, including the legendary GE chairman, Jack Welch. In a string of GE positions of increasing responsibility, Randy excelled as a turnaround specialist who transformed every organization he led and established a winning record of improved earnings. More recently, Randy used the same secret sauce to transform and improve earnings as CEO of Philips Medical Systems North America and USIS, a leading global security services provider where he led 7,000 knowledge workers to a new understanding of how to work together to achieve business results. Randy is now a senior operating executive at Welsh, Carson, Anderson, and Stowe, one of the largest and most successful private equity firms in the United States. Randy, welcome to the Strategy Driven Podcast. Thank you, Nathan, and thanks for that great introduction. It's my pleasure to be with you. I am thrilled to have you join us on the show. I loved your book, Transformational Leadership. I really love the fact that you provided all of those real-life experiences and, for me, put me right in the center, whether it was the GE motor plant in Mexico you were working at, whether it was at USIS, whether it was at the uh, off-site re retreat you talked about with Philip Medical Systems. So I, I know our audience is in for a real treat. I really appreciate your being on the show. Great. Thank you again. Well, Randy, I hoped we could start with the end in mind, per se. In your book, you talked about earnings as being the ultimate goal of any transformation. 
I was hoping you would share with us your thoughts on having earnings as a goal and how you can link that earnings goal to the organizational transformation itself. Sure, that makes a lot of sense, and I think it's a great question to start with. You know, if you noticed in the book, uh, as I was writing about the secret sauce, and, that, and there's a particular chapter that you just mentioned about earnings being the ultimate goal and the real measurement, that chapter is well towards the end of a series of chapters in the secret sauce. And the reason why is is because I believe that there are a number of other things that you have to do in transforming an organization to drive its performance to the kind of earnings objectives that you'd like to achieve. And I think as, as I interface with a lot of, you know, mid-sized, small, even large businesses today in my current role, what I continually see is businesses know where they'd like to get as an earnings objective, even know where they'd like to get from a growth or a revenue perspective. But what they really don't do a good job, Nathan, of defining on the front end is what I call kind of the inverted triangle of a business. Now, if you think about an inverted triangle at the, at the top of that inversion where you have the big base, what I think a business has to, has to have view, view or vision of is its success factors. Okay. And, and it's just a couple of things, but is it a price premium? Is it loyal customers? Is it growing market share? Those success factors and those things that a business wants to go after and believes it can really drive and lead in its market are the things that will allow it to achieve financial success. So at the bottom of that inverted triangle is strategy. So if you can see the success factors at the top and strategy at the bottom, what any successful transformational leader has to do is close that gap between where you want to be successful, you drive a business to grow and achieve its financial objectives, and the strategy gets you there. Okay. So the transformational leader is really making that translation between the success factors and then the strategy the organization is going to pursue. That's, that's absolutely right. And helping, you know, absolutely help. That's right. But also helping to lead defining those success factors and the strategy that it will take to achieve them. Okay. Well, I, I wanted to talk to you about transformational leaders because in my experience, organizational change is, one, never easy, and truly effective transformational leaders are exceedingly rare. Would you describe for us how you define a transformational leader? Well, you know, I, of course, I wrote a book that tells a lot of things about a transformational leader, but I think what you find right in the very front of the book and really kind of a basis for what I build the book around is is that a true transformational leader never gives up. Uh, the degree to which those success factors may be very difficult to achieve, identify, and continue to lead on a day-to-day basis. It can really vary in a number of businesses depending upon the condition and the, and the market for that business. The strategy to, uh, you know, to close the gap and then the day-to-day leadership to, you know, to effectively do that really requires somebody who can see the future, can vision the future, and be that continuing driving force that just never gives up on where an organization can get to. I think a, a, a leader who leads versus managing, and I think in the book you probably saw the chart that I included that I would share in all of my town halls, 
about the difference between a leader and a manager. Yes. And then I believe that, that a leader is, and, and again, I emphasize this a lot in the book, a, a real leader, you know, um, and a transformational leader has to be a very strong communicator and a real change agent. Randy, to continue to pursue those quality characteristics, attributes, maybe even some skills, are there certain ones of those that you see as being an absolute critical necessity in order for an individual to be a transformational leader? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, uh, you have to be a leader and not a manager. So let Mm -hmm. me just talk for a minute about, about the difference between a leader and a manager. I think the, the attributes of a leader, and, and, and you just can't be a transformational leader without these kind of attributes, is it is, it is an individual who will be collaborative in, in how they work to find a solution and move an organization forward. It, it is somebody who is, um, it delegates, finds people in the organization to share power with and share authority with. It's somebody who is um, not afraid to fail, Leaders aren't afraid to fail. Managers always want to be right. Um, ah. It's also, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a it, it's a mindset that re- rewards entrepreneurship. Within a business, within any business, there can be a lot of entrepreneurial thought, and a leader can bring that out and really create a lot of new avenues for growth and performance in a business. Now, kind of the flip side of that is, is that managers. They're very dependent and actually even, I think, hide behind the title and the hierarchy of, of, of management. They preside over an empire. They kind of control uh, new ideas and, and, and really don't want new ideas to surface unless they can, you know, be invented here. They reward bureaucracy, and, and the rewards are often based on status, not what you can bring to the game, not on what you contribute to the organization. Yes. So, you know, I, I think... A real transformational leader in today's world recognizes that, you know, employee loyalty in the current workforce is not to a, not to a manager or a title, not even to a company, but it's to the opportunity for the, for the individual to have his own personal growth and challenges in his career and, and opportunities. And, and I just think a, a leader has to recognize that and, and do the things I described versus managing. I couldn't agree more. In my experience in the military, I was I was in the Navy. You didn't become a leader because of the insignia you wore on your collar or on your sleeve. You were a leader because you were a leader first, regardless of what rank you held. And it was a way of being. And those people that hid behind the rank, that hierarchy or that manager title, they just weren't very successful. And, and they didn't yeah, go very you couldn't far. couldn't have said it better. You couldn't yeah. have said it better. You have to get people to respect the person, not the title. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And now, Randy, in the transformational leadership, you presented what you called the secret sauce to organizational change. Would you tell us what the secret sauce is and then how a leader goes about creating that sauce? Okay. Uh, great question again. Um, I, I think First, let me describe it a little bit for those who haven't seen the book and would be interested in it. The, the, the book is kind of divided into three segments. The first is an introductory segment about myself and some of my thought processes and history. 
but but then the, the the middle or the meat of the book chapters I believe four through eleven are what I call the secret sauce, and really what it describes is and, and as you introduced me, you know I spent a number of years at GE and the last business that I ran in GE Capital was a was a uh, very significant turnaround missing its financial objectives and uh, really some organizational chaos I think you could say. Uh, I went to Phillips Medical Systems, and they had done $5 billion worth of acquisitions and never really integrated them. So they were, again, missing uh, financial objectives and had five organizations not effectively integrated. And then when I went to the private equity world and ran U.S. investigation services, uh, it was led by a bunch of former military people, and, and they were suffering huge turnover and, and had a you know a very large backlog of background investigations for the U.S. government again because of a process mm-hmm. and and leadership and so the secret sauce is I use the same process for for identifying understanding taking action items resolving and improving the performance of all three of those businesses now those are three. Very distinctly different businesses, very distinctly different markets, but they have the same two fundamental problems, real organizational issues and missing significantly their financial performance. So the secret sauce is the set of processes, chapter by chapter, that I used and applied in a similar fashion to all three businesses to create real turnaround performance. And, and, you know, the real hope that I had in writing this book, Nathan, was not what I did, but to have this book serve, as you mentioned earlier, a how-to guide. Yes. And I found it it really did that. In fact, I was going to ask you if we could spend, and I know we don't have uh, a lot of time, certainly not the time that I'd love to have to go into the detail of the steps that you present in the book, but could you provide us just a little bit of an overview of those basic building block steps that you use to achieve organizational change? Yeah, I, I, I think um, I break it down in the book, right in the front end of the book, to transformational leadership really you know, involves five key skill sets. And you know, those five key skill sets to me, and then I expand upon them in the, uh, in, in the ten chapters or so, or, on, or nine chapters or so on Secret Sauce, the, is one to build a culture of change. Mm-hmm. You know, to build a culture of change, you have to recognize the current culture. So there's a lot of time that needs to be spent quickly, but time needs to be spent on the front end gathering data and listening. I think transformational leadership requires real good listening skills. And then the second is, is that once you, you understand, you know, a significant part of what the issues are, and you begin to formulate a plan that will address those issues, you really have to focus on what is the spirit of the team or what I call the esprit de corps. Mm-hmm. So you really have to focus on how do I take the team where they are today, given that we're going to make significant change to improve the business, how do I bring them along with me and grow them and their spirit at the same time? And I think that drives a third and, and probably one of the most significant key skill sets that I talk about in the book, and that is the ability to clearly communicate both yes. the issues and the actions. 
you know, an organization, many organizations just suffer from not really knowing what's going on in the organization. Do we have a future? How are you going to address these problems? Most people in the organization know them, but they don't get much communication about what what the leadership is really thinking about and where they're going. Mm-hmm. I think if you do those things and you drive them and you have a clear vision, it won't happen overnight, but as I proved in all three businesses, it will end in uh, you changing processes. I'm a real process-oriented guy. And once you can understand, start to change, improve the team's performance, clearly communicate, get processes and the right people leading processes, and the metrics to, to monitor them, that's when you really begin to change, the, and that's the fourth change of the financial results. And I think last is you just haven't really been a full transformational leadership if what you're not doing in that whole process is creating a cadre of future transformational leaders who can take the business to the next level as it grows or who can run the business when you're gone. Absolutely. I've always felt it doesn't serve the business if the change relies on that individual leader or change agent because then as soon as that person goes, you revert back to the way the organization was and and the benefits all lost. Well, I think that's right. I think my proudest moments as a transformational leader has been when I've left organizations and they've continued to improve. Yes, yes. Now, on that same lines, Randy, I, I do see organizations struggle to find the point where they could actually say, we've achieved the true transformation, that they've achieved this new steady state of performance, and that they won't revert back. Are there some things that you look for as key markers to indicate that they have achieved that true transformation and not something that is just reliant on the the will of the leader that's in place? Yeah, yeah, I think think that what you're really asking is um, when you're leading change, you know, how do you know that, that change is transpiring? How do you know that when you've achieved a certain point in it, and then how do you sustain it? Yes. And, you know, what, what I really believe is, is that, and I, and I really will tell you that I learned this in GE, a great place to learn about change and to learn about the question you just asked. And, and GE has a theory about there's a real model for change and, and, and both creating, achieving, and sustaining and, you know, the, the GE theory is that the first thing you have to do, and I mentioned that earlier, is really create a shared need for the organization. So, you know, if you have an organization with 20 people in it, less much 7,000 people in it, if they don't really share the same need that you have for where a business needs to go, it'll be very difficult to get it there. Mm-hmm. And the, the way that you create that need is shaping the vision. I've talked about that as... You know, when, when I've gone into businesses and I know where I want to go and sometimes it's going to take years to get there, you really have to kind of see a, a movie in your head and know what that business is going to look like and where you want it to go in, in, the, in the days and weeks and years ahead and then shape that vision, create that need by getting people to see what you see in your head through your communications, and then you mobilize a commitment. You go through a transition state once you've shared the need, created a vision, and mobilized the commitment of the organization. And you, you move them into an improved state. And then what becomes so important, and I think the question you've asked, Nathan, is 
to really make change last, mm-hmm. you really got to build structure into an organization. And that's where processes are so important so that you can build metrics around the structure. And, and you know, what, what do you want to measure? Do you want to measure um, uh, win loss with, uh, with the customer contracts or customer offerings? Mm-hmm. Do you want to measure your receivables, do your cash flow? Do you, you know, there are just so many metrics. Uh, do you want to measure your pricing performance? You know, how much of it stuck? What is your competition doing? And what I find is with a lot of businesses, you know, they, they don't think about change because they're not thinking about success factors and strategy and gap. And then when they think about it, they don't really put sufficient metrics. And metrics go way beyond just what's the revenue and what's the EBITDA and what's some of the basic things we think about. So I'm kind of a long answer to your question, but I think, you, you know, you get what you measure. And that's what I was taught in GE. And so you've got to measure change through a number of different metrics. Absolutely. And and I know on Strategy Driven, we are a very big proponent on metrics. In fact, we have dozens of articles dedicated to, to metrics because we're a firm believer that you can expect what you inspect. And metrics yeah. are a great way of continuous inspection. That's exactly right. Now, Randy, in your book, you also talk about the importance of having the right senior leadership team. And certainly I've a firm believer that the tone is always set by those at the top. What are some of the qualities and characteristics that you look for in individuals that you're selecting for your senior leadership team when you're doing a transformation? Well, it might not surprise you, Nathan, since you've read the book, but what I will tell you and, and of course, try to explain to the audience is, is that my leadership is not in my building leadership team is not so much a competency-based model as it is a results-based model. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, when I'm looking to build a leadership team, I'm not necessarily looking for what school they went to or what organization they've worked in or what some of their assignments have been in the past. I'm really much more interested about what an individual can tell me that he has done to really drive results and results-based improvements. And you'd be amazed how many people walk in to interview for a job and really can't talk to you about specifics of results that they've accomplished in, in, in previous jobs. So yeah. when you find those kind of people that are very results-based, I think you what you will find is, and what I've often found, and I, and I thought about this a lot, you know, as, as, uh, as, I, as I built organizations, and that is I've found people who real empowerment and understand that with it comes accountability. Mm-hmm. And it's yes. the two things that go hand in hand. I found it's, you know, those kind of people, results based people are people who really share my core values. Um, my competencies are, you know, as you know, an Arkansas State graduate. So I've never really depended upon my competencies or my, you know, what, where I went to school as being what would get me to my next job. And so I, I really, uh, have, have a lot of attenuation to people who have those same core values. And then, you know, I, I think, and you hear this a lot, but I really want people who bring something to the game. And, yes. uh, you know, I, I try very hard not to hire people who want to just say yes and who, while have my core values, I want them to be unique. I don't want them to be like me. I want them to be better than me. You've heard that old saying. I'm sure, Nathan, if you are enough people better than you, it certainly makes your job of change easier. It makes it a lot easier. 
And I certainly want to hire people that are better than me because I always look at it too. If I want my next job, I've got to have someone that can take my job. And exactly. It's a, a, yeah, it's a lot easier to get someone who's better than me to take my job than someone who's kind of mediocre and is, is not ready to do the job. Now, Randy, also in my experience in working with executive teams, I see that the ones that seem to me anyway to, to function the best have, I'll call it a complementary set of both personality and style and then skills, knowledge, and experience. So we don't have a team of folks that are maybe all of the same mold, but they complement each other. Strengths and weaknesses play off each other so that we get a, a more well-rounded team. I was wondering if that was your experience, and if so, how do you find these folks and then achieve and maintain that kind of balance within a leadership team? Yeah, you know, that's a, it's a really good question, and it kind of changes from organization to organization. But, you know, for me, when I walk into a new organization and an existing staff is there that I've inherited, you know, the first thing for me is, is discovery. And I mentioned that earlier, spending a lot of time listening. And it's really been my, been my process that when I've taken over a new organization, I will spend a couple of hours actually interviewing each member of the existing staff mm -hmm. in a very in-depth way to learn about that individual and try to really learn how I feel they fit my model, as I just described to you, and then I can also get a feeling for, as I go through the interviewing process of seven or eight existing staff people, how well that I feel they will fit with each other or how well they may or may not already be fitting with each other. And my second, uh, you know, way of kind of closing this gap is, um, you know, sharing process. And within the first 30 days of um, any new job, the last three CEO roles that I had, within 30 days with my existing staff, uh, I, I go through a process that I bring in a facilitator and I put the um, staff in a room without me. And uh, the facilitator gains their confidence that, uh, you know, this is a, uh, it's a confidential process. But they as a team get to uh, go through and create a series of uh, questions around four basic things uh, for me. One is, what do we know about Randy and what they've heard of me or found from me in 30 days? What do we want to know about Randy is the second one. Third is, what do we want Randy to know about the business that maybe he hasn't asked or we don't think he's sure that we knows yet? And fourth, what do we want to know from Randy about where he's going to take the business? Now, those four questions can generate two or three hours of conversation, note-taking, facilitation. And then there's about an hour break for the staff. And I go in with the facilitator, and there's no identity tied to who said what in those four questions. Uh -huh. And then I have an opportunity to study them, think about them, and then the staff comes back in, and it's my responsibility to answer them. And what that does is it, it really speeds up the process of closing the gap between the individuals and then myself and the individuals as a leadership team. Okay. Now, Randy, to 
stay on the same theme with the leadership team. As you mentioned, you've always inherited uh, your senior leadership teams. How do you go about not just identifying who should stay and go, but I also recognize that sometimes folks are not maybe in the right position. So how do you identify uh, when a person is out of position that, gee, I, I should have this person over in another function? I think you probably teed that question up for me, Nathan, so that I could uh, that I could talk about one of my most talked about chapters in my book and the secret sauce, and that is the chapter on send them to the Marriott. Yes. Now that's not an advertisement for Marriott. It could be uh, Hampton Inn, it could be Holiday Inn, it could be a number of different hotel chains, but it was just the one I used. I've been to that Marriott, by the way. It's a very nice Marriott. You read the book, and so what you know about what I'm I'm going to say is is that once I've gone through this interview process, this breaking the ice with the staff, the, mm-hmm. the town halls, the understanding the problems, it's usually before 60 days. And within that 60-day period, what I do is inter, in, 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 you know create in my mind what are the most critical issues in the business that have got to be resolved to allow us to go forward and the success factors and closing the gap and creating that the strategy and the connection. And then is when the staff finds out that I'm not going to do this on my own, that we are going to do it as a team. And I have some clear views of who I think will or won't make it on my team at that point. But kind of the real deciding factor is, is that I bring them into a staff meeting I talk to them about the fact that I've identified what I think the critical issues are. I ask them for who could uh, take over uh, their role uh, in their absence, and they cannot say they don't have anybody, so they've got to give me the best person to take over their role. And effective Monday of the next week, that individual becomes the leader for their organization reporting to me, and they are sequestered uh, in, a, uh, in a hotel or off-site facility, uh, and that sequestering could go in some instances. It's gone three or four weeks. In some instances, as much as six to eight weeks. And it is their responsibility to come up with the answers and how we will implement the answers to make the changes in the organization. I'm always available to them. I've done daily and weekly reviews. I insist on at least a weekly review of the process that's being made. And quite frankly, it really creates the ownership and the path for the changes that we have to make and for me to decide who's going to really be able to uh, help take the, take the business forward. And to your point about taking ownership, I think I see that as being something that's missing so often when I work with various executive teams and they're trying to put together their strategy is it, it's not where folks are sequestered and they come up with a, a process and a solution that they're going to own then. Rather, it's something that they're just told to go do, and they, they learn just to look to the leader for the direction, and then they never own anything. Yeah, I, I think that's very true, Nick. And then, look, at the end of the day, what my what I know and what I think any CEO, CEO knows is the buck stops here. Mm-hmm. So if the business doesn't get to where it needs to get, I will be accountable for that. But I can't do it alone, and so it becomes my responsibility to create that process that will transfer both the ownership and build the teamwork and the camaraderie in the team that will all function together to get us to the end goal. Yes, 
Now, Randy, before we close, you have a website, and it's www.dobsleadership.com. That provides a whole host of, of additional resources and insights on transformational leadership. Could you tell us a little bit about your website and the resources our listeners can find there? Okay. I think the first thing you can find is a, a weekly blog. Uh, I'm blogging weekly on leadership and really talking uh, more personally about uh, some of the leadership thoughts that I, I put in the book. So, you know, I think that would be uh, one of the things that I've highlighted. There also are some videos of my actually speaking and speaking more in depth in this interview uh, relative to a transformational leadership and where I have spoken about it. Uh, there's a media page, and uh, it allows people to access interviews, such as what the one that I'm doing with you. And then there's a link to the book. And uh, contacts for me if somebody was interested in me uh, you know, speaking to an organization and or coming in to uh, help them with some transformational leadership consulting. It's a great website. And I'm going to put a link in the article that will accompany this podcast so that our listeners can, with a single click, Go right over to your website. Good. Thank you. Well, Randy, I want to thank you not only for your time this evening, but for sharing your insights on achieving real organizational change. As I mentioned before, not only did I thoroughly enjoy your book, but I particularly liked the real-life experiences that you shared at all three organizations where you were the leader and facilitated and, and led that in-depth organizational transformation. You really put me through your stories in the moment, and I felt like I was standing there in those organizations and watching the concepts unfold as you were leading those organizations through their transformation. So I hope our listeners will pick up a copy of Transformational Leadership, but more importantly, I hope that they'll apply the insights and the approaches that you've shared to help create the real and lasting organizational change that they need to take their companies to that next level of performance. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks for reading the book and really sharing that. That's exactly what I wanted to accomplish with the book, and I certainly appreciate your comments so much. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast. I would like to personally thank Randy Dobbs for being with us today and sharing his insights on achieving real organizational change. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider voting for us on Podcast Alley and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. You can find more information about Randy Dobbs and transformational leadership at www.dobbsleadership.com. Until next time, so long.